Uh, we've been in Hebrews chapter number 6. Um, and so we'll get through Hebrews uh, chapter number 6 here, hopefully. Uh, we've looked at Hebrews chapter number 10. We look back when we come to Hebrews 6 and mention just a few things uh, that we're seeing here. Um, kind of laying some groundwork for um, the, difficult, the seeming difficulty uh, that comes up in Hebrews chapter number 6. And so um, I won't go through all of that, but just remember um, as he's laid the groundwork um, in the very beginning of the book, just like he does in other places, uh, he starts off this epistle to the Hebrews, God at sundry times and divers manners spake in times past unto the fathers by the prophets. And then he brings the overall theme, which of course is really the theme of the whole Bible, but especially here in this letter, um, is the better things. And so the very first thing he establishes is the greater sacrifice, the better Savior, the better, um, how much greater Christ is uh, than everything that's happened up until that point. Um, and so he begins the very letter uh, saying in these last days he spoken unto us by his son whom he hath appointed heir of all things by whom also he made the worlds. And he says he is the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power. And then listen to what he does. So this brightness of his glory and the express image of his person uh, would only um, uh, help you to under, in understanding who Jesus is. Uh, Jesus being God, the express image of his person, the brightness of the glory of God, uh, him being God himself, um, it should help us to see that he by himself purged our sins and so it helps us to see the greater sacrifice that was made because of who was the one, uh, who was the propitiation. Not just the priest uh, and um, doing the offering, but he literally was the sacrifice to satisfy uh, God's just demands in order to justify you. And so um, he lays out in the very beginning uh, the sufficiency, the, the Christian life revolves around this man named Jesus. And I think this is helpful at this time. You say, well, we know that. Well, when you start going down the Christian life and through the Christian life and you start growing uh, in the grace and knowledge of the Lord, you begin to um, um, be made conformable unto his death and you suffer things and you go through tribulation and trials and thorns in the flesh and um, uh, things that God works into your life in order to mold you to this image. Um, you have a tendency to grow weary. Uh, you have a tendency to um, uh, uh, get cold, get indifferent, um, uh, lose some of the zeal that you started out with uh, for, for the Lord. And so uh, the, uh, the exhortation here is, is of course, he, he even goes on to the end of the chapter and, um, and, and says it again, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
And what we have a tendency to do, obviously, is to get our eyes off the Lord. Uh, we began this Christian life. The Bible says, uh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. And that's the only hope that any man has of getting uh, to glory is Christ in them. And so Christ being the sufficiency to justify you before God and uh, your relationship that you began with Him, in Him, and Him in you, this union with Christ that we have, as you go along and you're still a pilgrim and stranger in a strange land, uh, of who the Bible said even Abraham, who uh, sojourning through the land, uh, still made it very plain and clear that he was looking for another city whose builder and maker is God. And so uh, uh, as we travel through this great land, this country that you and I have, uh, that's about the greatest country on the face of the earth, in my opinion, the freest country was uh, in order for us to worship God and freedom of conscience and be at liberty to pursue happiness and um, to do all the things that we do and worship God without fear of government and those things. Uh, we still, though we are uh, uh, thrilled that God let us live in this country, we still seek another country whose builder and maker is God. And so anyhow, we need to be continually reminded, uh, and God seems to have done that to us uh, here recently, to just continue to exalt Christ in our life because um, we are not made perfect by the law. We didn't start out in the law. Uh, the letter killeth and the spirit giveth life. And so we, we begun in the spirit in this relationship, in this um, eternal uh, life that we have, uh, began in a man whose name is Jesus, and it will be carried on and continued may I say the, the success of our pleasing the Lord um, in all things hinges upon um, our belief and our faith and our hope in Him. And so when we get our eyes off of that and we get troubled by the conditions of the world, um, we're choked by the cares of this life and um, we get caught up in a whole lot of other things and we lose um, this, uh, this fervor, this diligence that we have uh, in Christ Jesus. And most of us know exactly what I'm talking about when we started out in our salvation and we were on fire for God. You've heard people say that and we were in love with Jesus and, and uh, then something seems to happen to folks. It doesn't have to happen, and it doesn't have to happen uh, certainly to everybody, uh, but we are, uh, at great, uh, as one songwriter said, prone to wonder. Uh, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. And uh, we are prone to be still subject to those baser things um, in ourselves, whether it be some law um, whether, which the Jews struggle with and we feel like we're dealing with in Hebrews even, uh, but even our own sufficiency in some way thinking that our, um, our, our sanctification, uh, our... our uh, um, are going on unto perfection uh, is some way hinging upon our good works. Um, and we seek it not by faith, uh, but as it was a, a law, a letter, uh, with fear. That's not the proper. Now God wants us to serve God without fear. Um, and we're, the, here's the point there, is that we serve Him as He is our Father, not our judge, um, uh, though He is our judge. We, we serve Him as He is our Father. We're, we're reconciled who were once enemies, and now are we one. Now are we sons of God, heirs of the promise. 
And so we have this um, consolation that we, uh, that we are in Him and that we, we have to have. And I believe the writer of Hebrews is, is exhorting them to that. He exhorts Christ and uh, talks a little bit about those that didn't enter in because they sought it not by, um, uh, by faith and they entered in not because of unbelief. Um, and he's exhorting them, what he's wanting them to do is to go on unto perfection. And he says that here. And so I want to read, if I could, I've mentioned that verse a couple of times. Let me go back, if you would, turn back in your Bibles to the book of Philippians. And so we'll go Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, uh, before Colossians. And look at Philippians, and I've mentioned this, and so I just want to read it quickly, um, just so we kind of have an understanding um, of the differences being spoken of, of our, um, our position and our progression, our standing and state, um, which is very vital that we have an understanding of that. Okay, so let me just say again, most of us understand this, but for those that, I just want to remind you, um, the Bible said He's perfected forever them that are sanctified, right? So you can't improve on the perfection uh, that Christ, um, um, when you were born again, sealed the day of redemption, that new man that's born of God is absolutely perfect. You cannot improve upon Him. Um, what we're doing now as strangers and pilgrims in this land is patiently waiting for the promises. We are enduring. We are, we are um, um, as Christ, it was mentioned of Christ here, even in Hebrews, um, to learn the captain of our salvation, uh, being uh, heard, uh, he offered up strong crying and that he was heard. And he talked about him being made uh, perfect through the things which he suffered. And so that's the same sense in which is being talked about in Hebrews 6. Going on into perfection is not perfecting your standing before God. That cannot be improved upon. All right, that, There's nothing that can be added to that man, and there's nothing that can be taken away from that man. He's sealed uh, by a power and a presence that you can't get to anyway, and no man plugeth you out of my hands, what the Lord said. So nobody can get to where uh, to what God has done and has completed in Christ in your standing as a son. And uh, that is uh, complete. That question is over. Uh, that has been already determined by your faith in Him. And now, he says, let us go on into perfection. Let us go on and uh, work out that salvation. Let's, let's now, uh, uh, um, as a testimony to our God and as a testimony to a lost world, let's show the world uh, how Christ is and who he is and, and uh, uh, go on to um, this perfection that he's talking about in a progressive manner, uh, practically down here. Is what he's being what's being spoken of, and just to, just to give a little bit of an example, not that I need to say this, um, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I'd already attained Philippians three twelve, either we're already perfect. So here's Paul saying that I'm not already perfect. But I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Christ, Jesus. So that I may lay hold of everything that Christ lay hold of me for. Um, and fulfillment of the will of God practically upon the earth. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth the things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now look at verse 15. Let us, therefore, including himself. So he just said uh, in verse number 12 that he was not already perfect. 
But then in verse 15, he says, Then let us therefore, us, as many as be perfect, be thus minded. So um, uh, what is being talked about here, and I just want to make that a quick example because we ought to be able to compare Scripture with Scripture. As we say and go on into perfection here, uh, I want my walk, uh, my testimony, my, um, my, what I present to this world, I want them to see what God did in me. Right? They can't see uh, into the perfect man. They can't see what's sealed to the day of redemption. They can't see into that. They can't see um, uh, as God looks at things. You know, God uh, looks at things um, from up above and sees the whole, um, the whole of the matter, W-H-O-L-E. He sees everything from beginning to end um, because He's eternal. And so God sees it all. They don't see that. They don't see uh, all the things in which God sees. They don't see the Lamb's book of life. They don't see your name recorded in heaven. They don't see all that. And so what they need to see in order for them to see anything about us is they need to see that worked out in us. Now they need to see, all right, put off the old man and walk in that newness of life. Walk, uh, uh, conduct your life uh, according to the manner in which to show the world what God created in you and what what is in you is absolute perfection. And may I say with all reverence, just as perfect as Christ is, so is the man inside of you. Uh, and so what the world needs to see is what that, uh, what God has done in us. And so uh, James speaks of that, right? You show me your faith uh, kind of uh, idea. And so uh, for many reasons, that's not the only reason, but for several reasons, uh, that's why I just wanted to mention that talk of perfection. Because he says that in Hebrews 6, if we go back to Hebrews 6, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection. And so uh, that should help us to understand. And why is that important? Because um, there's many that believe that uh, uh, though they were um, uh, made heirs according to the promise, um, that, uh, of the righteousness which is by faith of him, and they, they believed on Jesus and they were born again, uh, by keeping of the law, they must keep that salvation. So that would be the idea of let us go on in perfection. That would be let's go on and let us complete that what God started. Let us let us um, let us uh, uh, um, um, uh, not uh, kind of like the angels were expected to keep their first estate. Uh, so um, they have an idea that though yeah God birthed me again from heaven. Now it's my job to keep myself saved. Right, and that, and that is totally not what's being said in Hebrews chapter number six, um, because that contradicts so many other passages in the Bible um, uh, that uh, we just don't even have time to mention that. So most of us believe that we know that you cannot improve upon what Christ did in you, the hope of glory uh, which you have in yourself. You you are of God. You are beloved. Now are we the sons of God? You cannot improve upon that. Uh, so um, that is not in this perfection being talked about your position. You cannot change that position. You are what you are. So not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God of the doctrine of baptisms of laying on hands of the resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment. So let us go on from this foundation. A lot of people, uh, um, they all, we mentioned this the other night, but they lay around the foundation of things, uh, constantly worrying. See, you're, you're still hanging around the foundation if you're living in in a manner to which you're always having to keep what was started. 
you've got to go on from that. That's completed and done in Christ. That's over with. Now let us go on. Let's grow. Let's, let's go on into things that, um, uh, that Christ wants us to go on into. And let's leave that behind. Now, what is he saying? He's not saying uh, let's quit talking about it, right? He's not saying let's quit preaching to the world uh, this fact of eternal judgment. He's not saying let's, let's quit preaching and proclaiming Christ Jesus and the cross of Christ, those principles, the foundation. Um, that's not what he's saying. He's saying let us personally, in our personal lives, let us settle that matter. Right? That matter is settled. There's nothing else that needs to be done. And let us go on past that. Let's grow. Let's, uh, but you have to be birthed to grow. And you have to have that starting foundation to build. And so get that settled. Get that done. And, and reckon that uh, uh, what God has ruled. And so uh, he has ruled you are crucified in this world. And the world crucified unto you. And you are perfect in Jesus Christ. Now go on from that. Now, now learn how to obey that in this mortal body, uh, uh, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Um, uh, that's, that's the big difference. That's just what he was speaking about with Christ. Christ was absolutely perfect, uh, but he had never come. And, and in fact, I would say until the fall of Satan, I don't know that he ever suffered. Now, he doesn't say that he didn't. I don't know what else. It's not put in the scriptures. But he certainly hasn't has never suffered as a man in the likeness of sinful flesh. Right? Practically speaking. And so the same thing we need to see, so that we are one with the Father, just as Jesus was one. He prayed that in John 17. Joe, we are positionally a son and forever heirs of the promise. All of those great uh, truths, we are still in this body of death. And we must learn obedience even in suffering. We must, uh, uh, not in the good times, uh, but through the things that we suffer, learn how to be obedient. Learn, show the world what it's like to suffer right. That's, that's an often great theme even in Peter. And so let us go on beyond that. Let us not uh, um, neglect those things, right? That's the foundation. We, we preach to the world, not grow in grace. Right, I don't go to lost people and tell them to mortify their deeds upon the earth and, and to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. I tell them Christ was crucified and was buried and raised by his own power for your justification. I preach those foundations, right? Those principles. But as a Christian, I've got that set on. So when I go along in life and I'm suffering and I'm going through things, I don't go the old, I need to go back and get saved. Or I didn't keep myself saved. Or maybe I lost it and I need to, no. I'm, I'm, I'm thinking I need to grow. I need to become more like Christ who when he was reviled, reviled not again. Not that I need to get born again. I need to learn how to, uh, how to tell my body what it's going to do and not let it have dominion over me. Because he said, he's freed you from that bondage. That you are no longer slaves uh, to sin. You have the power to overcome. I'll make ways of escape for you, and I'm provided all these things so that you can rise above those things, and you can grow and become more like Christ. And so um, that is what is being spoken of here. Uh, um, uh, let's let's look, look with me at Galatians chapter number 5. It's the same thing that's being dealt with in Galatians uh, similarly <coughs> uh, in, in the book of Galatians. Many of us know these verses, but let's read them together. Stand fast, Galatians 5.1, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. He's talking about the law. And uh, if you remember, that's what the trouble the Jews often had, uh, even recommending to the Gentiles and trying to bring them back under the law. Uh, no, Christ has nailed those handwriting ordinances against us, taken them away. And so we don't come back under the law. Circumcision availeth nothing. 
Right? He even says that in Hebrew. And so uh, uh, water baptism uh, uh, is a picture, a symbol of what truly has happened unto us spiritually. And so we shouldn't be arguing about whether you have to be sprinkled or dunked or, you know, all those various um, things and uh, water baptism and whether it's necessary and all those various things that are being dealt with. Uh, um, here, he's saying, let us not be entangled again with that yoke of bondage. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. For I testify again to every man that is circumcised, he is a debtor to do the whole law. Christ is become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. And he's going to use similar language here, falling. Uh, he's going to use similar language when we get back to Hebrews 6. And he said, For we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. And so uh, what he's talking about here, even after you're saved, there's no maintaining of justification. That's what you would be doing, right? If you had to keep the law in order to keep yourself saved, then you're having to do the work of justification. You could, by, no, by the works of the law, shall no flesh be, uh, be justified in his sight. So there's no possible way that you could keep it even after it was given. A gift's a gift. You can't keep it uh, no more than you can earn it. Right? So uh, uh, um, uh, if you can lose it, then you can gain it by your works. And so that, that, that whole argument falls completely apart. And he's trying to tell them, don't get tangled up again with the law after Christ has set you free from that. Christ fulfilled all of that. He fulfilled circumcision. He fulfilled baptism. He fulfilled all of those things. And now those things are a picture of what he did. He, he fulfilled everything you couldn't. And so don't take yourselves back under the yoke of bondage. And, and, and and, and, uh, uh, um, and so he says unto them, uh, so, so whoever uh, has, has claimed to be saved, but yet they're keeping it by their works, uh, whoever has thinks that they can continue to keep themselves just before God by their good deeds, uh, uh, Christ has become of no effect to them. See, even after I'm saved, uh, my plea before God is this high priest who continues forever. He remains my advocate. That will never change. He'll always be my high priest, I assume, for eternity. He'll, he'll, his, his priesthood continues forever. It'll never die. And, uh, um, and so his uh, priesthood is different, and it had to be changed. It was a change of the law, a uh, change also of the priesthood, and that he made a sacrifice once for himself forever. So he'll never make another offering again, uh, but he is my intercessor. He is my day's man. He is the one that has brought me together in himself uh, to reconcile my um, uh, animosity, my, my being an enemy, uh, into the friendship of God through his own body. And so that will always continue forever. And Christ is, uh, so Christ, uh, who are, uh, in one part of the Bible said, who are kept by the power of God. You're not keeping yourself by your own power. You didn't get there by your own power. And you won't stay saved by your own power. You would get there and you remain there by the power of Christ when it comes to justification. When it comes to you being a son, when it comes to you being a child of God, a saint, that comes through the man whose name is Jesus and in him alone at the beginning and for all of eternity. As long as he lives, you'll live, right? That's that great truth that we have. And as long as he lives, I'm in him and I'll forever be perfected because I'm in him and he liveth forever. And so uh, uh, that is what he's trying to tell them. Don't get entangled again 
sin and the yoke of bondage. And so if you think that you can justify yourself at any point in your life, if you can justify yourself and this manner of justification, right? It's a legal term. If you think you can justify yourself before the judge based on your own works at any point, before any profession, after any profession, at any point in your life, uh, then you, Christ has become of no effect to you. Right? Uh, uh, um, you, have, you have rejected the only means by which any man can ever be just at any point in his life before God. And that is in Christ Jesus, the hope of glory. Christ in you. That's the only hope you have. Uh, the only hope you have of glory is Christ in you. And so uh, uh, us that are saved, we glory in that. We thank God for that. And uh, if... Again, if you're struggling or you're going through some things with that, I, I, I urge you to get that settled. Um, it's all by faith of Him, and it's all in Christ, this matter of justification. And so he tells them uh, that Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever that you're justified by the law, you are fallen from grace. You are, um, and, and they try to use that word, see, to say that they had it at one time, but they fell from it. They lost their salvation. That's not what's being said at all. Uh, and I'll prove it to you, and we'll go to another verse. Um, but anyway, he said, we, us that are, are born again, us that are truly saved by the grace of God and have a good profession that we need to hold fast to, we, through the Spirit, wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. We are waiting for that hope of righteousness. We are, we are, we are waiting in the sense of not, um, boy, I hope it comes true. We're just, we're, we're, we're patiently just, uh, expecting, knowing that it's going to come to take place. Um, even the, the, the things all to come together in one, the redemption of our bodies, right? Waiting for the adoption to wit, to know. Uh, we're waiting for those things to, 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 to really come to pass. Though it's as good as done, um, well, we're waiting and, 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 and fully assured expectation. It's going to happen. So it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. Waiting for that hope of righteousness by faith. And so um, turn back with me to Hebrews chapter number 5. It's impossible. And so this we'll do. Uh, let's leave those things and let's grow. Um, uh, again, get the idea in your mind that, that he's wanting to talk to them about things, about uh, more deeper things, a meat of the Word of God, but they're dull of hearing. And so he's trying to tell them that you need to go on from this foundation and now build upon that. Now grow and, and, and you're and being conformed to that image. And he says it's impossible for those who were once enlightened to taste of the heavenly give when we're made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the world to come. Hebrews 6, 6, if they shall fall away uh, to renew them again unto repentance. If is a key word there. And that's why I say I think it's hypothetical uh, because it's never one time saying that that's ever happened. It never says that. It says, if they shall. I mean, that, that's kind of, um, that's kind of hypothetical language, is it not? It's not saying it has ever happened. It's saying that it, even if it were possible, it, even if it was possible for a man to be justified and perfected forever, have his sins purged and remember against you no more, and you're a son of God forever, and all those things that's being told us, uh, talked to about the things being eternal, um, the sons of God, um, uh, if, it, 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 if you were uh, to ever lose, you could never get it again because you've crucified yourself. And, and, and what is this falling away? It's a rejection of Christ. It's an apostasy. It is rejecting Christ and who he is. And um, if that were to ever happen, how could we renew you again? 
Um, and that's that language there. Remember the next verse says again. Uh, so assuming that you were renewed once, it would be impossible to ever renew you again because you've crucified the Lord to yourself. There's no, there's no hope for you. The only hope I have of renewing you to God, reconciling you to God, is for you to believe on Jesus. He's the only hope you have of that. And you've rejected him. And it says in that next verse, you've rejected him. You've crucified him to yourself afresh. And what he's saying is, technically, um, uh, these people uh, that seem to come up, up for a little bit of time, and then they reject who Christ is, and they reject Christ and who he is, not grow weary, not make a mistake, not mess up, not stumble along the way, not get out of will of God somewhere, but people who, who boldly and openly reject Jesus as the Son of God and the propitiation for their sins and their only hope for glory. Rejection of Christ. That's who these, th- th- these people really are. They crucified him again because they never accepted him the first time. That's the reality of a person that falls away. Now, in that manner. And so, uh, let's look, if you would, turn with me uh, to Luke chapter number 8. And we'll look just at a couple of places quickly, uh, so we don't take too much time of this, because I want to go on from here. Um, but Luke chapter number 8, I mentioned this the other night, but I want us to look at it so that you can see and not just take me at my word for it, um, but I try to look for this language being mentioned again, falling away. And so you'll see that in Luke chapter number 18. And let's start in verse number 5. A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell by the wayside. It was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. Some fell upon a rock. And as soon as it sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. Other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit a hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. His disciples asked him, saying, What might this parable be? And he said, Unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they might not see, and hearing they might not understand. Now the parable is this. Look at verse number 11, Luke chapter number 8. Now the parable is this, the seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. Now pay attention to verse 13. They on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy, and these have no root, which for a while believe, and in time of temptation, what's that last part? Fall away. Now, this is, this is uh, the same word that's, talking, that, that's being mentioned uh, in, uh, later on in Hebrews 6 that we just read. Um, that these, that if they should fall away. And so, um, uh, look at Mark. will give us a better idea a little bit. Look at Mark chapter number 4. Mark chapter number 4. In Mark chapter number 4, we see the same uh, parable given, just a little bit different. Uh, I'm going to skip on. I'm not going to read the whole thing again. And he said unto them, Know you not this parable? And how then we should know all parables? Let me see. Okay, verse number 14, Mark chapter number 4. The sower soweth the seed. And these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and, and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. And these are they likewise which are sown, uh, sown on stony ground. Likewise. So that means the ones on the stone or just like the ones that are by the wayside, right? These two are the same. And these are they which likewise are sown on the stony ground who when they have heard the word, this is just like Luke 8, 
Luke 8 said these that were on, that were on the rock, right, when they believe for a little time, uh, but then the temptations come and they fall away. And so uh, look at, uh, look at uh, verse number f- uh, 15 again. And these are they which by the wayside, excuse me, verse 16. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, then, who when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness. And have no root in themselves. And so endure for a time. Afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sakes, immediately they are offended. And then he goes and says, these are they which are sown among thorns. And goes on and talks about the word and them becoming unfruitful. But these that are in verse number 16, uh, if you look at verse 17, says they have no root in themselves. And so they, are, they, uh, they come for a little bit of time. Uh, these, these are folks that are unsaved. It's just like the ones who the devil comes and taketh away. Word away. Um, these these ones that fall away, these ones that apostatize, they reject Christ. Um, they fall away in that manner. They are uh, um, the, the problem is uh, is uh, the word was not upon good ground, right? It didn't take lodging place. They heard it and they were excited about it. It, it uses emotional words. Um, emotions come along with your salvation, uh, but faith isn't an emotion, and so they they uh, they, uh, they receive it with gladness and and they seem to do okay for a little bit of time, uh, but then they fall away. They don't, um, uh, again, you know, make a little mistake, this and that. They actually uh, apostatize. They, they fall away. They leave and reject what they say that they claim uh, to believe on. And so um, that's what's being mentioned here in Hebrews chapter number 6. Go back to Hebrews chapter number 6. And you'll see that the earth, uh, in verse number 6, it says, If they shall fall away to renew them again unto repentance, seeing they crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh, and put him to an open shame. For the earth which drinketh in the rain that cometh off upon it, and bringeth forth herbs meet for them by whom it is dressed, receiveth blessing from God. But that which beareth thorns and briars is rejected and is nigh to cursing, whose end is to be burned. Now think about where we just left the the parable of the sower. Uh, It talks about um, there are some who are sown, uh, some ground is sown upon, and uh, there's fruit mixed in, but then they come to a point of their life because they're choked, uh, the different things come into the cares and affections of this world, they become unfruitful. See, that's a little bit different person, right? That's a person that they believe on Jesus, they come along, they've got fruit in their life, and for however long period of time that you want to talk about, uh, but they, they have fruit in their life. And but then they come, things come into their life that causes them to be unfruitful. But you know what? There's still a tree that still has a root. And they're uh, just like uh, Brother Michael Jones brought this out the other day. We were talking some about this. You know, um, uh, a fruit tree, an apple tree, uh, is still an apple tree, even if it bears just one little apple, right? It doesn't change what it is. It had a bad season. Uh, the winter uh, came and he, he went through a harsh winter. And there's no excuse for that. Uh, but God's going to purge it because he wants more fruit. So he's going to do something to get more fruit out of that tree. But in itself, it is a tree. It is, it is what it is. It is, it is uh, the substance of what it is hasn't changed, right? It's not a thorn itself, right? It's, it's, not, a, it's not a thorn bush itself, right? It's a, uh, 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 it became fruitful, but then there are things come along in its life and no excuses for that, but it became unfruitful. And right, that's why God wants us to be fruitful. And so uh, if you think about what's being said here, uh, it brings forth nothing but thorns and briars. It doesn't say it brought forth fruit and then also thorns and briars came in. So that, that's not what it's talking about there. It's saying it, this, this ground produced nothing but thorns and briars. That's all that it was. 
Christ. That's similar to 1 John 3. Uh, that, 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 there, there, uh, there is no fruit whatsoever in this uh, that's come forth out of this ground that takes in the water uh, that's, uh, uh, and being dressed. And so it's produced nothing but thorns and briars. And so God says uh, that his end is to be burned. That's not the end of any person that's believed on Jesus is for them to be burned, right? For they're not appointed under wrath. And so um, you see that what's being said in those verses is talking about people, and not that they lost anything, it's people that never had anything. They made a claim uh, to believe for some time. They made a claim and they seem to receive things with joy, uh, but because they have no root and they never really accepted Christ. I mean, maybe they were excited emotionally by the message. Maybe they were wanting out of some kind of situation that their sin had brought them into. And so they tried to make a deal with God. If you'll get me out of this and keep my family together, I'll bring them to church or, or, or whatever happened. They never really believed on the Lord Jesus and cast themselves solely upon him. They had no root in themselves. Right? So it would be impossible uh, to ever renew anybody who rejects Christ. Christ is the only hope for any man to be just with God. And so um, he lays that groundwork. And so now that you have that, my friend, that is not the ending point of your life is to make sure you get out of hell free card, but you you can be brought into this relationship with Jesus for a purpose to be conformed to an image and to show a lost and dying world the love of God that he might show the world the great mercy and grace grace that he, that he is and that he has upon us, those that are heirs, those that are children, and, and been forgiven by the grace of God. And so he goes on to say that. And then now look in verse number nine, we'll move on. But beloved, we are persuaded better things of you. So uh, this is not you, my friend, uh, is what he's saying here. This is not you uh, that had no root in yourself and you've apostatized and you've rejected Christ. Um, uh, this, is, this is an urging on of you. You already show love. Is that not the first thing that he mentions here? He doesn't say, uh, uh, he doesn't start mentioning their haircuts, right? He doesn't, it, the, the very first better thing that he's persuaded of, something better uh, that accompanies salvation, uh, is not thorns and briars and it's not a rejection of Christ as a son of God and your propitiation. Uh, it is better things, which is love. And so that's what he starts talking about. But we're persuaded of better things than you. And just like, I mean, that's a strong word. And when Paul said persuaded, um, um, uh, he's persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That's a full assurance. Um, uh, and, and some people say, well, I don't know if we ought to know whether or not people are saved. Well, I don't know in your cell. Uh, that's a pretty strong statement to make. He was persuaded better things of them. Uh, what does he mean by that? He is persuaded that they would eventually do better? No. He's saying he's already seen better out of them. Right? Look, look at what he said. But brethren, excuse me, beloved, verse number nine, Hebrews six, beloved, we are persuaded better things of you and things that accompany salvation, though we thus speak. So uh, uh, that's a that's a pretty uh, uh, strong statement there. For for God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love which ye have showed towards His name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister, not will, but you have done that and you are doing that. And so, what am I trying to say to you in this letter? What I'm trying to say to you in this letter is that you, I want you to grow on that, right? Uh, um, because you maybe lack one day in your love towards the saints, uh, doesn't mean uh, that you lost and you. 
you fell away. It means that you need to grow. You need to go on. You need to learn how to, how to be uh, loving towards God's saints even in times of suffering in yourself. And uh, you need to grow and you need to go on. That, that's what he's urging them to do. Hold fast that profession and go on. And so I want to encourage you to do that. I don't know what the world's going to do. I don't know how the country's going to go. I got a pretty good idea. It's not going to go good. The radical agenda that's already coming out of these uh, liberals is going to probably destroy this country. I don't know to what degree they're going to be able to affect the kind of change they want in four years, having complete control over our government. Uh, but when you start out with um, a gender and all these other, um, this mess uh, that's coming out of there. I don't know how this country is going to go and I don't know what's going to happen. But I know what me and you got to do. We got to continue to show love and minister to the saints and show that love towards his name by loving his people the way that he told us to. If you want to show love towards the name of God, minister to the saints. Quit ministering to yourself and quit serving yourself. If you want to show and work out that love that should have brought in your heart towards God, do it by loving the saints of God. Love his people. Minister to them. And that will get you through these hard times. And so that's what he's trying to tell them. God's not unrighteous. The world may forget it. The world may forget all that was done. Your neighbor that you ministered to yesterday may forget uh, uh, what you did yesterday today. Right? And they may forget all the good that you did to them. And they may, but God's not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. What is going to last after the world burns up is the love that you've shown towards his name by loving other people. Faith which works worketh by love. The love that you show towards, other, uh, towards others will endure all times. That is laying up treasures in heaven where moths can't corrupt it and thieves can't ever steal it. So if you want to lay up an inheritance undefiled and that fadeth not away and you want to lay up for yourself, you might not want to trust the stock market. You might not want to trust your social security. You might want to lay up some treasures over there where no corrupt leftist can ever get to it to reappropriate it to somebody else. Just lay it up over there in heaven. My showing love and ministering to God's very people. That's what he's trying to tell them to do. Don't get caught up with everything else. Don't get caught up in trying to take care of yourself. Quit worrying about all that. Just minister to God's saints. Minister to them and show love towards his name. That's what we need to be doing and growing in that which you have showed towards his name and that you have ministered and you do minister. And verse number 11 he said we desire that every one of you do show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. That's what he's wanting them to do, right? And uh, this is a urging them on not to quit message, isn't it? Keep on going. Keep showing that love. Keep working it out. Well, people don't appreciate it. That doesn't make a hill of beans, does it? It really doesn't matter at all whether they appreciate it or not. I wish they did, but it makes no difference. This is not love that you're showing towards your own name, right? You're, you're, you're not, uh, surely you're not loving them trying to make yourself look better, are you? Right? Is that not what's being said here? When you, when, you, when you do the things that you do for others, do it in His name. Because then if they don't appreciate it, doesn't matter. God won't forget it. Right? And, and what are you showing to them? Because they may hate you no matter what you do. It doesn't make no difference. But you need to show them the love of God in Christ Jesus who forgave you and was good to you when you didn't deserve to have anything. And so uh, that's what you want to do is do it in His name, everything that you do. And then and that'll, that'll endure all time. And so he said, we desire that every one of you show the same diligence to the full assurance of hope unto the end. Hold fast that confidence, right? You've not believed come and devised fables. And uh, uh, so let's go on. That you be not slothful, but followers 
of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. And uh, that word slothful there in verse number 12, let me, let me say this in another way that we might understand it a little better, that you be not lazy. You know why a lot of us don't minister to the saints? Because we're lazy, right? Uh, a lot of people don't come to church and they want to try to say, well, somebody hurt my feelings. The truth is they're lazy, Right? They either don't have the love at all or they're just lazy. God said, don't be lazy when it comes to this matter of ministering to people. If you want to, uh, and I make a joke, and I, I don't think it's uh, all the way completely funny, but I do it to break the ice sometimes. I talk about my diet always starting on Monday. Well, that's, that's one thing, right? I mean, I, I, can, I, I, I may not be able to ever start that diet. I don't know. Uh, 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 you know, as long as they have Taco Bell as cheap as it is, I doubt it'll ever start. Uh, but uh, once they raise minimum wage $15 an hour, I'll probably start my diet because I won't even be able to afford Taco Bell. But anyway, that diet may never start and may God still be pleased with me when I enter in and say thou good and faithful servant. If I, But what cannot be lazily dealt with, what cannot be slacked, what cannot be let go is my ministering to the saints. And you say, well, you're a preacher you're supposed to. So are you. It's not only pastors and preachers that are supposed to be ministering to the people of God, serving the people of God. That is supposed to be all of us. You know what's wrong with us? We've got and lazy with it. I know some people they can get up every day of their life and run and exercise. They pay money to join gym and have gym memberships and they go down here and work out and they're as faithful to try to sculpt their body as anybody I've ever seen. I'm jealous at how they're able to discipline themselves in order to perfect their bodies and sculpt themselves so that they'll look good. But they are lazy when it comes to ministering to people and won't even show up at church but they wouldn't miss a day of exercise at the gym over here in Harriman. you got problems, friend. If you're going to be lazy somewhere, I'd be lazy at the gym, but I would never want to be called dead lazy uh, to ministering to God's people. We need to wake up out of sleep and quit being lazy in our ministering to God and His people and start getting our priorities back in line and get back to being faithful followers of them who patiently inherit the promise waiting on God. That's what we need to get back to doing. We've done it before and we need to do it again. Reprioritize your life, friend. And if you put on 100 pounds, I'd rather you put on 100 pounds and meet God ministering to his people than sculpt your body over there and never darken the doors of a church because that's completely unprofitable in eternity. Right? And I'm not trying to make excuses for myself. I'm not at all. Uh, we don't need to be uh, showing ourselves as, um, in that kind of manner. I don't think God's pleased with that. Uh, wishing that our moderation be known unto all men. And there is some profit in it. But what I'm trying to say is, I see some people, let's think about this. I know some people that would work circles around me. I know some older men that would work from sun up to sundown. I'm telling you, they'd work, their, they'd work themselves into the grave. They'll work themselves down to where their feet fingers won't even hardly work anymore. I've seen my papa work so hard. I'm telling you, there's a ge that generation, they're just like that. They're hard workers and they would never be lazy when it comes to work, when it comes to actual physical laboring and being on the job and working hard and never being late and being faithful and never missing a day. Some people, they wouldn't even take a vacation day. They'd never called in sick. They're as faithful to their job and they work hard and they're not lazy. But when it comes, you know who's, you know who suffers for that day? 
diligence that they have to their job? God's people do because they wouldn't lift a finger to vacuum the floor. They wouldn't lift a finger to try to do anything outside. They wouldn't lift a finger to try to take a meal to somebody. They wouldn't lift a finger to hardly do anything else. But boy, they're faithful to not be lazy at working. Can I tell you something? And I think that's wonderful. I think it's honorable. I think God is absolutely honored with men that will work hard and provide for their families and not be lazy. But you are missing the point if you're not lazy on your job but you're lazy when it comes to the spiritual things and the things of God. You're lazy. So, well, no, I'm not lazy. Look how hard I work. You're lazy when it comes to God. And God have mercy on us. If we're going to be lazy, I don't think we ought to be lazy anywhere. And I'm not excusing laziness in my life in any area. But I want to tell you something. When I'm convicted and I lay my head down at night over my day, it's not because I didn't bench press 250 pounds that day. It's because I didn't get the gospel to nobody. Right? It's because I didn't read the word like I should have. I didn't pray like I should have. I'm telling you, when you lay down your head the last time and you, you're, on the, you're on, knocking on death's door and you're laying there on your deathbed, you won't wish you could do uh, uh, 10 more squats and max out at the gym. You'll be wishing you'd have maxed out at church and give everything you had and give more of yourself and more of your time and more of yourself to the things that are necessary in heaven. I'm telling you, you better get to the place where you're just as diligent when it comes to serving serving God as you are to serving man. You cannot serve mammon and serve God. You must be equally in your love towards God and your diligence towards God and your unlaziness and your faithfulness to the things of God as you are to your job. Right. And uh, so we need to not be lazy in spiritual things. Is that not what he said? I don't want you to be slothful. I don't want you to be slothful. I don't want you to be lazy when it comes to what? When it comes to showing uh, towards his name, ministering to the saints and do minister this work and labor of love. I want you to be zealous and I want you to show the same diligence to that as you do anything else in your life. Don't be lazy when it comes to the things of God. Friend, I'm telling you, Jesus is coming. Save man. Can we? I hope I can exhort you and help you, son. I, and I hope you exhort me and help me uh, under good works and the love. As, as I see the days approaching, we better reprioritize our. I'm not, I'm not saying, you saying, Brother Clint, can I, can I ask you something? Does it bother you to spend four hours a day in a gym lifting weights and people dying and going to hell and, uh, and being unfaithful to church and not witnessing and you've not read your Bible and you've not prayed any, but you've been faithful to those kind of things? And I'm just using that. There's all kinds of other things that people don't miss a thing at. They, they train themselves and work on things. And, and man, they, they just get things all together. And, uh, uh, and some, some ladies are more diligent in, in how they look on the outside than how they look on the inside. They're, they're not lazy in some of the things on the outside. And they're not lazy when it comes to uh, something. But we're lazy when it comes to things that really matter, aren't we? We should not be lazy. If any of us ever really believe the Bible the way we ought to believe the Bible, we believe it when the, when the Bible said uh, that uh, he that 
goeth forth weeping, bearing precious seed shall doubtless come again rejoicing. And we would put more hope in bearing that precious seed even in weeping and, and put more time and more diligence into bearing that precious seed. You know what's, uh, you know what's going on in Washington? You know what's going on uh, with these leftists and these nuts that are in Washington that are about to take over your country? You know what happened? You know where they got failed? They got failed in that church that lost its fire and fervency for the things of God. We got lazy in it. We were more faithful to fight for the Constitution. We are more faithful to fight for the things that our forefathers brought us as a part of this country than we were to fight for the truth of the Word of God. And we quit planting churches in our country. We got comfortable. We got complacent. And we quit getting out the Word of God. I went 20 years. I went 25 years. I've never had a Baptist knock on my door one time and bring me the gospel. And I've lived in 13 different houses in 11 years. And that's not even including my childhood. And I never one time have ever had a Baptist, independent, or Southern. I don't care which way you want to spin them. Ever show up at my door with the gospel and care anything about my soul. Never. But I've seen a lot of Baptists at the gym. I met a lot of Baptists that, buddy, you couldn't beat them when it come to working on the job. They's hard workers, good to people, faithful, honest. <laughs> they wouldn't dare be called lazy there. But man, we've gotten lazy when it comes to the things, when it comes to growth in Christ. We're pretty lazy, aren't we? <laughs> Seems like we're, we're, we're missing it somewhere, aren't we, my friend? And he said, don't be slothful in that. Don't be lazy in that. But I want you to follow her. That's, a, that's showing action. That's not sitting back and, and, and having some emotional wishy-washy thing about those that inherited the promises before us, that uh, uh, great cloud of witnesses that we, are, we looked on that, are, uh, 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 that we considered in Hebrews 11. Uh, not some kind of wishful thinking kind of thing, but an action. I want you to follow them. I want you to imitate them is what he's saying. I want you to do what they did. Right. Well, they were under the law. I'm under grace. All the more reason for that you ought to be doing better than they were doing. Am I right? We ought to be doing. We we ought to be doing better than they were doing. We've got more than they are. That's what Hebrews is showing us. They had a temporal preacher that are made out of the things of God, as Moses instructed, and the pattern of those things and being faithful in it. And they were called of God, not made of themselves, after the order of Melchizedek. I mean, after the Levitical priesthood. And they had uh, uh, priests who had uh, uh, um, that were in themselves. And it uses a word. I think it starts with the D. I, I can't remember. But basically, saying they were sinful men, uh, men that died, temporal men that offered up these things and uh, now it says look how much better we have it over the house of God. We have an eternal priest who was God himself then look how much better his sacrifice was. If anything friend we should be doing better than what we read of them doing in Hebrews 11. They were sawn asunder. They were shaked. They shook the world. They turned it upside down because of the faith that they had in God. Not because they were better than you and me. In many ways they lacked what me and you have. Uh, but uh, what I'm trying to say is uh, I don't know why we feel like we're victims of this prophecy and we've, we've gotten lazy in the things of God. It has nothing to do with the time or a whole lot less to do with the time and a whole lot more to do with the fact we are lazy when it comes to spiritual things. And he said, I don't want you to do that. I want you to be followers. I want you to put some feet on that love you say you have because faith worketh my love. Faith will work. Faith will do something. And I want you to do. I want you to follow. I don't want you to say it in your, in your heart. I don't want you to love in word only, but in deed and in truth. And I want you to follow them. 
Look at what he says here. Desire every one of you the same diligence, full assurance, the hope of the end. Be not slothful. Verse number 12. Followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Oh, man. I know I've said this and I'm done. But uh, he says this in verse number 12. Uh, excuse me, verse number 13. Uh, talking about these promises. And I sat there last night. And I tried to go, and I thought, well, I don't know how many of them there are, but I'm going to go through the New Testament. I'm not going to rob the Old Testament, uh, Jew and a nation of Israel, their promises, and try to apply them to myself. But I, and, and, and even questionable ones that maybe we could, you know, uh, claim. I'll just go to the New Testament and find New Testament promises to the New Testament Christian. And we'd be here till next week of me going through them promises that God's made. It's, I, when I started putting them in there and I started listing them all out every time I'd come across something and I'm telling you it was so overwhelming at the various verses at God's promise things he's promised to me and you it's unbelievable what God's promised to me and you and there's even things that he can't tell us there's promises that he's made that he can't give us all the details it's not even in really in the hearts and minds of us that love him and we have some of it revealed or we don't even know all of it that he has in store for us I mean it's unbelievable the promises that are made. And he said, these through faith and patience here are the promises from God. Look at verse number 13. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself. And uh, I, I don't have time to go back to Genesis 15, Genesis 22, and, and all the things that we look at when it comes to Abraham. And then I seed shall be called. He was, he was 100 years old when Isaac came, was he not? A man, you talk about being patient. And uh, look at the things that he went through, uh, all leading all up along to Genesis 15. Look at the things he went through before he received Isaac on the altar and the figure. Uh, and, uh, and Isaac shall thy seed be called. And, and look at all the things he went through in sojourning to that land. Uh, I mean, I, I'm telling you, he, he went through a lot of stuff, and he just patiently kept on with God. And, and uh, that's what he's being exhorted to here. But more than looking at faithful Abraham, he wants you to look at faithful God of Abraham. And so can I just exhort you to that? And you go through your New Testament, you start looking at promises God's made to you. How about just one that's never leaving you, never forsaken you? I mean, look, just look at that one promise. Uh, I don't see any qualifier on that. I, I, I don't see unless you, unless you grow weary or unless you... He, he just promised, I'm going to go with you to the end. I mean... And so what he wants you to do is he wants you to look at the God that promised. Not so much at those that inherit, but he, he does want you to follow them. But what we need to take note of is the faithfulness of God who's promised you some things in this Bible. God's made some promises to you. And willing so much, though he did not have to, to show them your ability to counsel to the heirs of promise, look at the things that he's done here. Just, just as an extra, because the Bible says, wherefore an oath of confirmation is to them the end of all strife. Uh, is that here... Uh, uh, let's see. Yes, it is here. We'll get to it. Let me just read that, okay? For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself. Uh, can I say this? Uh, just quickly, I know I've said this before, but there's two things. I wrote, two of, I wrote them down here. There's two things that affect the promise. Most of you remember me going through this, but, but I'm done with this. Uh, uh, power and person. Character and circumstance. Those are the two things that would affect a promise, right? And God answers both questions by a promise and an oath. 
in his power to control the substance, uh, excuse me, his power to control the circumstance, it being impossible for God to lie. And so if we look at the power and person, the character and the circumstance, there's nothing that won't bring, uh, that won't come true in the promises of God. So I know I've used this example before, but I've said to Taylor many times, tomorrow I'm going to take you somewhere. We're going to go do something. Usually we end up going to eat. I end up on the phone because somebody calls me and I'm dumb enough to answer it. And then I end up, we just go back home after we eat. That's usually what happened. But the intention of my heart is to take her somewhere and do something really fun with her and spend a good quality day with her. The problem is a lot of times I don't have the power to control the circumstances that may arise in the day. So my intent may be right. My character may be fine. My character is if I give you my words, you can count on it. That's true because I, I, and I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but for the large portion of my life, if I gave somebody my word, I did everything I could possibly do to make that word come true. I wanted to be an honest person even when I was a lost man. And so let's say my character is such that even if I make a promise, you can count on it. The problem, the problem is I'm a fallen man. I don't have the power. I may have the person. I may have the character, but I can't control the circumstance, right? And so we may go along and then somebody may call and say, I, I had a father, uh, my father passed away. I need you to do the funeral. Will you come to the hospital? I'm sick. Uh, there could be all kinds of things come up. So I made this promise to her with good intention, but I can't fulfill that promise because I don't have the power. I'm obligated now to go do something else. That makes sense. But with God, it's not so. Not only does he have the impeccable character, not only does he have this immutability of his counsel and that it's impossible for him to lie. His character is such that if God says something, you can count on it, not just because he's never going to take back his word, not just because he's an honest man, uh, so to speak, an honest God, not just because the, 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 uh, the absolute perfection of his character and that it's impossible for him to lie, but also in his ability to control the circumstance. There's nothing going to come along uh, that will change, uh, that will cause him not to be able to keep his word to you. Nothing could come up uh, and say, well, I was going to be faithful to you, but Biden's in control now, and I can't really, you know, now that he's in power, I can't really. <laughs> There's nothing that can come along in life that can ever change that is going to bring a circumstance into your life that's going to cause God not to be able to carry through his promise that he's made. So <laughs> we can lay, have a strong consolation and lay hold of this hope because it's dug into something that shall never change. <laughs> the impeccability of his character, the, the absolute unchangeableness uh, of God, and it's impossible for him to lie. And so when he made this promise, he swore it with an oath. And because he could swear by no greater, he had to swear by himself. <laughs> And so God made a promise to you. He promised you eternal life, and this life is in His Son. And as many as received Him, to them will He give power to become the sons of God. And He made a, pro a promise to you that you'll have life eternal, and that this same Jesus that you saw go away shall in likewise in the same manner come again and receive you unto himself. And he has sworn that with an oath. So we know what the oath was. An oath, let's, let's go on and let's read a little bit of this. Uh, 
Uh, Verse number 14 saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. Verse number 16, For men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is to them an end of all strife. He's talking about in the Old Testament when there's a disagreement between two, they would make, you know, they would say something like, uh, um, I swear by something or another, something higher than them, that I'll, that I'll keep the word of this pact that we're making, this agreement that we're making. And it puts an end to all strife. Because if he doesn't do that, there's going to be a great punishment to be made. So if he doesn't have the character, don't worry about it. It's going to, so it, it kind of ended the strife. It, it put that other person at ease that it was going to be carried through. But they had to swear by something greater. Because if you just swore by your own character, maybe that man has a character. He's always been a trickster. He's always been a fraudster. He's always been a cheat. You see what I'm saying? So he had to swear. They would swear by something greater. I swear on, uh, uh, on Moses. I swear on heaven. I promise I make this oath on something greater. And uh, uh, here it's saying God had nowhere else to go. But he, he made a promise to you and, and by two immutable things. One is his character and his promise because he cannot lie. And the other is the oath that he swore by himself. And, it's, and that's appealing to his power. So there, there's, there's, uh, uh, my person is and I cannot lie. So the promise is, is, is answered in the character of the person. And then the oath, the oath of confirmation is made uh, not just in his character, but in his power to be able to carry through the promise that he's made. There's nothing greater in power to keep me at my word. I'm promising you this is going to happen and you can count on it. So you can have a hope in yourself that you will be in eternity with God and enjoying heaven in the person of Jesus because faithful is God that promised and nothing shall ever intervene or ever interfere with the promise that God's made to his people. (laughs) What stirs me up some? Man, so what's your hope in? Yourself to keep the law? (laughs) You better just have a strong consolation in this hope set before you by the one who's powerful and the one that's promised. The person and the power, the character, and the, the, the inability for circumstance to ever intervene. God promised me eternal life in His Son. That life is in His Son. And the hope of glory is Christ in me. I turned, I repented, I believed on Jesus. And the life, the eternal life of God is in me by a faithful God that promised. And I'm going to go on under perfection. I'm going to grow in grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus and knowing that there's another promise afforded unto me that where he is, there shall I be also for all eternity. Man, that's, well, we can't go on with that. For men verily swear by the greater and an oath of confirmation is them and end of all strife wherein, wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability, the unchangeableness of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. What God has promised you, there is no possible chance 
There is nothing that will ever change those promises. They will come true. I'm telling you, whether no matter what in the world ever happens, no matter what uh, happens uh, in America, no matter what happens uh, by an angel, uh, no matter what circumstance, nothing that you can even do can change the promise that God has made. God is faithful to his promise and he's not counting on you to keep your word by the oath. He is counting on nothing but his immutability of his counsel, the impossibility for him to lie. You may not keep it, but I can promise you God will keep it. <laughs> God save me. I'll serve you as long as I live. I'll never fail you, Lord. I, th- these others may turn on you, but God, I never will. You think God put any stock in that? <laughs> God didn't put no stock in what Peter had to say. Peter uh, didn't know what spirit he was of, and he was saying things he didn't have the power to do. He didn't have the power uh, to keep himself and faithful to the promise that he had just made. I'll never forsake you, Lord. But you know who did have the problem, the, the power never to forsake and to be a faithful friend that's thinking closer to the to, than a brother, and his name is Jesus. <laughs> Jesus never forsook him. <laughs> And so God's promises to you rest in his own power and character, (laughs) not in your ability to keep it. Thank God. Friend, I'm not trying to ease your troubling. If you're you're in sin and you stand in doubt of yourself, you should stand in doubt of yourself. I don't have any problem with that. But I want you to understand something. Your salvation is by faith in Jesus Christ. And you must rest in the character and the impossibility for the God of heaven to ever promise you something and break it. It's impossible. And and, and he's showing you that. And also his power to keep you in his hand. And no man is able to pluck you out. So I'm not trying to make you feel comfortable. If you're in sin, you ought to start seeking God. I don't know where you stand. (laughs) But I can tell you this much. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And any hope that's in my soul as an anchor, both sure and steadfast, rest into what that anchor's dug into. It doesn't rest in me and my ability to be faithful to it or my ability to keep it or my ability to do anything. I just lay hold of Christ as a consolation. What is this hope that is set before you? It's this man whose name is Jesus. That's the hope that you have. Jesus Christ. Christ the righteous. <laughs> and by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie. Boy, this had set Christians' hearts on fire again. And boy, we could see revival if me, if you and I could get our eyes set back and our affections set back on Jesus. Jesus Christ is the hope. Listen to what he said here. Two impossible things in which it was impossible for God to lie. We might have a strong comfort, a strong consolation who hath fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. What is this hope? Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. 
This hope we have doesn't stop short because it cannot enter in. This hope has entered right in with that temple that was written in twain and it entered right into the presence of God. My hope is anchored and dug in to a man. It's not anchored in the faithfulness of my character. It's not anchored in the faithfulness or the power or my ability and, and, and to lay hold of it. It's not anchored in the, uh, the impossibility for me to lie. It's not anchored in the faithfulness to my uh, uh, repetition of the prayer that I made 13 years ago to God. It's not, uh, it's not anchored in my ability to live holy. It's not anchored in my repentance from dead works. It's not anchored in anything but a man whose name is Jesus. And if you have hope today, you laid hold of that. You fled to Jesus for refuge to lay hold of that hope. And now if you and I in 2021 have any hope, that hope is Jesus it's sure and steadfast that he's faithful that promised. Right. It's Jesus that entereth into that which is in the, within the veil. That's who it is. <laughs> Whither the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made a high priest after the order forever, after the order of Melchizedek. And boy, I wish we're done. I'm, I'm done. And uh, Look at where he talks about it. Go on today as you're sitting there. Uh, read as you're resting. Before you turn on Andy Griffith, turn and read this Hebrews 7 and 8. To whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all for being by interpretation king of righteousness. And after that also capital king of Salem, which is king of peace. And he goes on and talks about this unchangeable priesthood. By so much, Jesus was made the surety of a better testament. Now, look at where he sums it up. Now, I'm done. I really am. Verse, chapter 8. Now, of the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such an high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. Every high priest is ordained, offering sacrifices and gifts, and whereof it is of necessity this man have somewhat also to offer. For if he were on the earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that there are priests that offer gifts according to the law, who serve under the example and shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished, see that you make this thing according to the power, but now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. By how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. <laughs> Man, I can't keep going. But just everywhere you turn, it's Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Look, 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 look at chapter 7. But made like unto the Son of God, abideth a priest continually. <laughs> And uh, so can I say something? Not only do you have this propitiation and this sacrifice that has satisfied and met the just demands of God for you, now you have a, a mediator of this a surety, of this better, these promises that are better. You have a priest that continues forever, who always abideth, who never in You know what that's saying here? That's saying that he keeps us forever. Am I right? He's made the sacrifice. And that sacrifice, though it was done and accomplished once, it was sufficient forever. 
And that priest now, he sitteth on the right hand of the majesty on high, that offering being done once and for all. But now he still stands as his priest over the house of God. And so now you and I will always be kept by the power of God. We're always kept. Uh, what was accomplished, he's keeping. Jesus is your sufficiency. He's everything you got. If you're unsaved, you better cast yourself upon this man named Jesus. Nothing else will ever uh, uh, affect uh, any sort of change in your life, but certainly nothing will ever affect heaven outside of Jesus. You must believe on him, and then you and I that have fled to him for refuge, lay hold of that hope, that strong consolation, because faithful is he that's promised. Don't lose hope, don't lose heart, and don't give up your confidence that you've shown towards his name. Continue in that love which you've ministered to the saints before. Get urged, uh, get to get some zeal back in your life to start doing some things again. Quit being slothful in it and get back to serving God with some fervency and some diligence and showing love towards the saints of God. And uh, that's uh, kind of what he's talking about here. I wish we had time, but we, we don't. But uh, we'll be done here, all right? That stuff just stirs me up all to pieces. He's just... Boy, I wish we could just get this world to see Jesus. And, 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 and I believe that for salvation. But can I, can I tell something? Me and you that are cold and indifferent, that are giving ourselves to everything else, we, can I tell you the same thing? Christ is everything. He's all we need. Let's just look back to Him again who bestowed this love upon us that we never deserved, who still loves us and we don't deserve even to still be loved and is faithful and that it's impossible for God to lie. He swore by Himself. That's how much more He wanted you to be fully persuaded in the promises of God. Man, what a God that loves us. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the good word of God. That gives us such a strong consolation, a strong comfort of this hope that we have set before us. And Lord, we know what this hope is, that this world's not our home. We have another country. Our conversation is in heaven. My citizenship is in heaven where I'm seated already as I preach today. So Lord, help us continue steadfast in the faith and love and help us, Lord, to get stirred up in our fervency and our fire once again that we might make a, a change in this world, a real change uh, in this country that we all love so much. Lord, we love you. Help us to be faithful to the Word of God, not be forgetful hearers, and get, not be slothful in our, in our Christian walk and our growth. Let's be fervent and diligent, Lord, to the end. We love you so much. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.